Good deal. I like the idea of fired up. Uh, I wish I knew what I did with my notes. That'd be, be good. You want me to use notes because when I don't use notes, I speak a lot, lot longer. So, okay. If you're tuning in online, would you take a minute and just check in, like put a comment on there like, we're here, something like that. That would be good. And uh, so it's Father's Day, huh? All right. Happy Daddy's Day. That's right. All you da- all the dads are like, hey, we kept them alive. That's what we did. They're still alive. It was iffy, but they're still alive. Well, okay, I might have been the only one. I don't know. <laughs> Give me just a second. I'm trying to get to uh, my note of everything, actually. So I... I am, but I got, I'm sorry. I got, I got tied up in worship there, and I didn't do all the stuff I normally do. So, Hey, uh, great job, worship team, by the way. I really really appreciate that. You did great. Okay, so hey, uh, if you didn't get a text or an email that uh, we were changing service times, then you're not on our list. So you might want to text the word welcome to the list and give us an email too. Uh, and I want to apologize again. I know I already did it, but I'll do it one more time. I'm sorry that it, that happened so quickly. That wasn't the plan last week, but plans change. So thanks for being uh, cool and actually showing up today. We'll see who shows up at 10:30, and uh, it'll be good. Yeah, we'll, we'll know. Hey, get on the list. We'll get their number and all that stuff. Um, so fathers, dads, great job. You survived. Dads that. You have uh, children, biological children. You dads are dads because you stepped up for somebody else's children. Uh, And and you dads who have stepped in and been a father to others, we are grateful for you. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let's do it. So what we're going to do, we thought about getting you some kind of trinket you could lose on the way home. But we decided that we're going to make a $500 donation to the Muley Foundation. They have a... A uh, program every year where they take special needs kids on their first hunt or on a hunt and they pay for it. So we're going to make a donation uh, for Father's Day in that end. Okay? All right. Okay. So, uh, Dwayne, I might have trouble uh, with my slides, so if I ask you for help, just be ready to save my life. Okay? You got it. So today we're talking about turning your love on full blast. Now, this is the third sermon in the series on... Um, powerful people, how to be powerful, how to, how to live a life of self-control and to live in healthy relationship, how to love God and love others. This is going to be, this has been for me an incredibly helpful series, and I'm very excited about the things that we're going to talk about. Today we're talking about loving others and how to turn that love on. And uh, so the phrase I want you to remember as we work through today is this phrase. It's very simple. You ready? It goes like this. I love you very much. Let's all say it together. Count of three. One, two, three. I love you very much. Now, if you happen to have someone you uh, care about sitting close to you, why don't you turn to them and say on the count of three, one, two, three, I love you very much. Do you need to turn to the other side? Okay, one more time. One, two, three, other side. I love you very much. Now you're sitting there going, I'm here by myself. I have no one to tell that to. Get out your phone. Send a text to that person right now. I love you very much. I love you very much. You sweet. (laughs) So... In this series, today we're talking about love. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about people who have access to you and about boundaries. It's going to be very helpful, very powerful, incredibly 
practical, okay? And uh, so because I don't know about you, but I have struggled with all those issues. How do you love someone but also have, uh, con- maybe not control, but have, have boundaries so that you are protecting the, the thing that God also loves? You know, God, we're here to protect God's creation, right? And you are God's creation. We'll talk about that in just a minute, okay? So let's start with a passage, Matthew 9, verse 35, and I'm going to read it out of the message because I like to make people look at me funny, okay? Out of the message. All right, here we go. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What I want you to see here is that Jesus lived his life with his love on full blast. He lived in a world that didn't understand him, didn't get him, spent most of its time being mad at him, and almost everyone who got close to him walked away from him eventually. So I want you to see that in Jesus' life, there were a lot of relational issues. People couldn't deal with him and had problems with him and left him. And then, of course, you know the end of the story where Jesus laid down his life and died on a cross for them. I mean, Jesus came to love the world and they nailed him to a cross for it. What I want you to see, though, is that even though Jesus knew that, because the Bible says in John, he knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew what was coming. He knew what people were like. He still could look at people and love them. His heart break. For them, And when there's so many countless stories where we see Jesus just like his love is on. The woman caught in adultery. She'd been caught in an in a, in a embarrassing, horrible sin at the time. Everyone looked down upon her for it. And Jesus just loved her. Blind Bartimaeus. Here's a guy that's so blind, that's his first name. That's a joke. It's a joke. And we'll come back to blind Bartimaeus and how Jesus loved him actually in a later sermon, so I won't do much there. But you think of the woman in adultery, blind Bartimaeus. Think of the woman with the issue of blood who who touched the hem of his garment. Think of Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus, but not Jesus. Jesus loved Zacchaeus. Got a lunch date with Zacchaeus. And, And I just want you to see that in Luke 13, you see Jesus, Luke 13, Matthew 9, which I just read, you see Jesus' grief over the people and their brokenness and their lostness and their confusion. In Luke 13, you see his grief over Jerusalem where he's about to go and get nailed to a cross. He, he lived with his love on. So I, I know I, I look at things a little different than a lot of pastors and teachers you've heard. One of the things I want you to look at differently about Jesus is people often make a big deal about the times that Jesus was tough. The time he told the rich young ruler basically to take a hike, that's what it seems like. The time he went into the temple and cleaned it out. And there are a lot of guilt-driven ministries out there today that are taking those stories and magnifying what Jesus was against. But I want you to understand something. Every strong message Jesus had, every strong step he took, every bold move he made wasn't because he was against something as much as it was that he was for something. 
And that's what you have to remember. When he cleansed the temple, it wasn't that he was against the money changers. It was that he was for the children who who needed a place of prayer and a place to worship. He was for the glory of God and that God being glorified and honored in who he was. And so I want you to, to, to remember that Jesus, in every moment, he was always for someone or for something. He was for the weak. He was for the oppressed, for the broken. He was for the sinners, for the messengers up people. He was for the Father being rightly known as a God of love and justice. A God of justice and love. So here's the thing. Take that idea. What was Jesus for? And let's ask this question of ourselves. The people in this room, what are you, who are you for in this life? What are you for in this life? I am so sick and tired of hearing what the church is against in this life. Hey, I know, I can read the Bible. I know what we're against, okay? But do people in your family know who you're for? Do your kids know who you're for? Your, your mom and dad, your son, daughter, your grandkids, your friends, your church, do they know who you're for? This isn't about the church at large. This is about us and what we're for. So today's message is about being for someone and being for others. It's about learning to love, really love in relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your small group, at your place of work. How can I love, even though there are so many mean, angry, hurt people out there, how can I love? So let's start with an obvious reality that relationships are risky, Relationships are really hard today. They've always been hard, but they're even more difficult today because we have social media, and now we can find out immediately how stupid people are. <laughs> right? You have to know them long. In fact, you're probably at a, if you're like me, you're at a stage, you're like, hey, that, that seems like a nice person. Maybe we could be friends. I better check their stream. <laughs> oh, no, they're a nut. Okay, I'm out. By the way, we're all nuts. You just got to find the nuts you mix with. We're mixed nuts, Okay. The Bible says this, though, in 1 John 3, 14. I know that relationships are risky, but I'm here to tell you that isolation is deadly. Isolation is deadly. 1 John 3, 14. We know we've passed from dead to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. I want to lay that verse out there for you to chew on. Because if you struggle loving people, you have to ask the question, Have I had an encounter with a loving God? You really need to start there. Because that struggle has everything to do with your your vertical relationship. Vertical relationship, if you are experiencing God's love in your life, that manifests into your love for God, and that begins to display into a horizontal love for those around you. Okay? So, relationships are risky. Why are they risky? Well, there's some challenges I want to tell you about. And you may already know these, but I'm going to articulate them so that you will know that we know these, okay? All right. First challenge is the challenge of perspectives. We all come from different places in life. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do this right now, but it would be kind of fun. Well, it wouldn't work because everybody knows what the other side looks like. But if we had two people here who um, had never seen a dollar bill before, and of course, as, as high as things are getting nowadays, that will be the case before too long. They'll just get rid of that. Well, it'll be at the $10 bill. Anyway, <clears throat> sorry, not political, just whining. All right. 
And so what if we had a, a person on this side and a person on this side, and I held up a dollar bill, and I began to have them explain what they were seeing. What we would have if they had never seen a dollar bill before, both sides of that thing look entirely different. They'd both be looking at the same dollar and describing entirely different perspectives of the dollar. They'd never come to a place of agreement. They would start arguing with each other because they're Americans, and that's what we do. There'd be Facebook posts and all kinds of things about how dumb the other person was. They'd both be looking at the same dollar and in complete disagreement about the, the thing they're looking at, and yet it would be the same. What's the issue? Issue of perspectives. And that's what's going on in every relationship in your life. You're never going to meet another person. You're not even going to be in a family of people that have the exact same perspective as you do. And so people are looking at things with different lenses, different backgrounds. Everyone has a different perspective. So perspectives are one of the challenges of relationships. Two, goals are a second issue with relationships. What do I mean? For some reason, we're under the misconception that the goal of a relationship is that we agree. We even use the passage out of the Bible, Amos, that says, how can two walk together except they agree? But what we don't realize is that the, the issue of agreement is the wrong goal of a relationship. We need to switch that goal. What it means is when I, when I have the goal of agreeing with each other, what that usually means is we'll come together and either I'll agree with you or you'll agree with me. Okay? If I win, you'll agree with me. If you win, I'll agree with you. And the other person's ideas are gone. That's what happens when our goal is agreement. But what really should happen is we need another goal. And rather than a goal of we have to agree on everything, it should be a goal of understanding. I understand what you're saying. I'm trying, to, you're, I'm trying to help you understand my ideas. And here's what happens when we seek a goal of understanding. We each walk into a disagreement with different information. We begin to understand each other. We get new information. And now we're able to make a better decision. And neither one of us had to diminish. Now we both become something more because we have sought to understand. Wouldn't it be amazing to be in a relationship, a church, a, a community that its goal was to understand rather than just agree? It's a very powerful idea. So that's the second problem that we have. or The second challenge is we move from a place of agreement to understanding. And so our goals are off. And then the third challenge is our style. Our style. Every one of you grew up in a family, I'm assuming, of some kind, whether it was a, a, a family that's commonly understood or whether it was something put together in other ways. So you grew up in some kind of family, and that family taught you a style, a way to survive, a way to get through things. And so you have these different styles. The first one we'll talk about is the passive style. Ah, you passives. You guys ever seen uh, that movie... Finding Nemo, and there's that scene toward the end with all the seagulls, and they're all on the docks around, and they're going, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> of course, I think it has an Australian accent, so it says like, mine, 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 something like that. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. 
It was a shot in the dark, I'll be honest with you. Sheer luck. So here's the passive. The passive person is the loaf of bread on the dock underneath all those birds going, mine, 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 mine. And they're laying there on the dock as a passive piece of bread. I don't, what I think doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm just here. This is what Jesus would do. I don't value me. You shouldn't value me. And all the seagulls are coming in. Mine, mine, and they're plucking pieces off of it. And you're laying there. The bread's just laying there. Oh, please stop plucking me apart. And they do the passive thing for a while. And then you know what happens to passives? They, I know you can't imagine a loaf of bread screaming, but imagine it, all right? Ah, stop! Everything must stop! The birds back off. Mine, mine, mine. And then the piece of bread feels guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have blown up. Okay, go ahead and consume me. The passive thinks... I don't matter, only you matter. And that's how they, they survive in life. And the sad thing about that kind of thinking is that healthy people will stay away from you because you're a non-person and you're unknowable. Whatever everyone else wants, that's what you want. And so you, you have a non-opinion. You, you have, you have, you're not able to matter. And then, but then you will attract the toxic people who want to use you and consume you. So passivity is not a good plan. By the way, Jesus was not a passive, okay? And, of course, there's another style. And, and it's, it's hilarious and terrifying that what usually happens is this passive person usually ends up marrying an aggressive person. The passive person thinks, I don't matter, you matter. The aggressive person agrees with them, I matter, and you don't matter. It's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex being married to a goat. A lot of strong leaders, pastors, are aggressives. And, and they are they're pushing and getting things done. They get things done, okay? And so you, you grew up in a family where you were passive to survive. Or you grew up in a family and you learned to be aggressive to survive. And so the passive says, I don't matter, you do. The aggressive says, I matter, you don't. And then you have a third one, which is a combination hybrid of the two called the passive-aggressive. Oh my goodness. I'm just thinking of my passive-aggressive moments in life. Uh, mine, personally. What is the passive-aggressive thing? Passive-aggressive thinks, I matter, you don't matter, but I'm going to pretend like you matter, but you don't. Okay? You ever talk to someone... And they said something that sounded nice and it felt bad. That's a passive-aggressive. It's a manipulator. Okay? And so, they, uh, man, passive-aggressives are good at a lot of things. They're good at making you feel bad, good at uh, gaslighting, good at destroying your reputation. Manipulating mainly because the, the goal of the passive-aggressor is to get their way by making you choose their way. Making you so miserable till you have no choice to do what they want. So, you probably learned one of those three styles or various combinations of them, or maybe you flip between them depending on who you're related to. Aggressive, passive, passive-aggressive. There's another style, and this is the one we need to learn. I call it the assertive style. And all, what the assertive style says is this. I matter, and you matter. We both matter here. 
Your opinions are important. My opinions are important. What's inside of me is good information. What's inside of you is good information. And what the assertive tries to do is tries to give you that good information that's inside of you and tries to listen to that good information that's coming from you to them. So, relationships are risky. This is why. And it makes perfect sense that they'd be risky. I mean, if, if the fall had never happened, we probably wouldn't be, we wouldn't be going through this stuff. But it did. And so now we have different goals. We have different styles. We have different perspectives. Anytime you're in a relationship with another person and different things begin to come in, you're going to struggle. Okay? So, it makes sense that we'd have it. But even though relationships are risky, they're worth it. That's what I need you to know. Because isolation, if you continue to, if you wall yourself in and you just keep people out of your life, not only are you going to be miserable, you're going to get self-destructive. And what that means spiritually, the message that that comes out of that spiritually is very dangerous and alarming. If I can't connect with other people, it says a lot about the spiritual reality in my own heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this box we built around ourselves? How do we begin to really turn our love on? Let's start in our own marriage. Let's start in our relationships with our close friends in our church and then move out into the workplace and into our community. How do I begin to turn my, my love on? So you're probably familiar with the five love languages, and I'm not going to do a teaching session on the five love languages, but I always forget what they are. You know, I, I always remember what mine are, but, you know, the ones that aren't mine aren't that important. I'm just kidding. That's right. My wife's too. And, uh, my, and my wife's, we've never been able to really narrow down, so I just have to use all five. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's... So uh, anyway, so the five love is words of affirmation. So here, uh, let me read through these, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is to tell me your top two. I have a few people just kind of report their top two. If you're online, just comment your top two love languages as I go through these, okay? So the, the words of affirmation, that's... that's when people say nice things about you, when they tell you the truth about who you really are. I'm just kidding. When they say nice things about you, words of affirmation, that really speaks love to you. Uh, acts of service. So, you know, someone offering to do something for you, doing a, an act of service for you, that may speak love for you. If, if that is something that excites you, then that's your love language. Physical touch and closeness. Sexual intimacy, just touching each other, warm hugs, kisses, those kind of things. Physical touch, if that's what really speaks love for you, then that's, a, that's probably your love language. Quality time. My wife says, face-to-face time. I want to see your face and I want all of your attention. And that's really hard for me to do because I'm very ADD. (laughs) And so quality time might be your love language. And then the last one is the love language of gifts, uh, where that someone taking a moment to think of a gift to give to you really speaks love to you. There might be others. There might be variations. This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a helpful tool Gary Chapman gave us in the late 80s and it's late 90s. And it's, it's been helpful through the years. So here's the thing I want to talk about languages, and I'm about to ask you your top two, so be thinking about it. Men and women, we know men and women speak different languages, right? Womanese and Manish. It's like Spanish, but with fewer words and a lot more tonal sounds. We know men and women speak different languages. But we also have different languages of love 
that, that mean things to us. And so what happens a lot in a marriage uh, is that a, a couple loves each other. They really struggle communicating that love because he's speaking Manish and she's speaking Womanese. Or he's speaking acts and service and physical touch and, and she's speaking quality time and gifts. And they're trying to love each other but the message isn't getting across. So, let's just kind of go around the room. Again, if you're online, just take a second and comment a, a lo- your top two love languages. Um, what are your top two love languages? Hey, I was going to ask Christy, but we've had this discussion. No, we just talked about this yesterday, didn't we? That's right. Mine is, uh, my top one is words of affirmation. I mean, just that just means a lot to me. Words mean a lot to me. Physical touch is probably number two, which is, Every man's got physical touch in the mix somewhere, I'm sure. But what about you? Somebody shout out. What are your top two love languages? Okay. Michelle? Okay. Affirmation and acts of service. What are Caleb's? You don't know a second one. All right. Quality time. All right. Good deal. What would you say, Miss Linda? Okay, physical touch, extra. Anybody else on this side of the room? This, this room's winning. <laughs> Quality time? Words of affirmation. All right. Anyone else want to shout a couple out there? Acts of service and quality time, sir. Anybody else? Okay. All of the above. Just love me. I'm down with it. Okay, so what if, what if a lot of problems you have in your relationships are caused by the fact that someone loves you, but they don't know your language? They only know their language. And they're trying to speak their language of love to you, and you're not getting the message because it's not in your language. What if that's what's going on? What if we could learn to not only speak the languages of others, whether that's manish or womanese, which would be, by the way, that would be love for women and respect for men, same thing. Or whether it's gifts or acts of service. What if, what if I, in my relationship with my wife, what if my goal here is I want to know I love her? That's the main thing. I want to say to her every chance I get, this is what I want to say. You ready? You can say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I love you very much. I want to say that to her in every, in fact, I'm going to say it in every language because she's a woman. She might have a different language day. <laughs> Men, your, your wife can flip languages. Yeah? Can men flip languages? Probably not. I don't know, though. So I want to say I love you very much. And, and her, one of her love languages is quality time. That is not my favorite language. Do you know why? Because it's not efficient. I like things to be efficient. I'm like, okay, honey, we have 10 minutes after 3 o'clock this afternoon, and I'm going to love you. <clears throat> that will not work, and that sounded inappropriate. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
How do we begin to say to our person, our children, our friends, our parents, I love you very much. That's where we begin to turn our love on full blast. Because that's, it's about who we're for, not what we're against. And in your marriage, that person you, you picked long ago, I choose you. That's what you said at your ceremony, even if you didn't use those words. I choose you. That person needs to hear as often and as, and as frequently as possible, I love you very much. And so if we took on ourselves the burden of trying to learn our partner's language, our friend's language, and began to speak that, what it would say is this, you don't have to be exactly like me to love you. I can learn to love you even though we don't agree. We don't understand each other. I can still love you. And, and this is a way I can do it. So how do I tell you I love you is a great question to ask. And then the last thing is, let's apply this. How can I say I love you very much? Three scriptures I want to share. Colossians 3.14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians 14.1, let love be your highest goal. In 1 John 3.18, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So as you think through how I can say I love you very much to every person in my life and in every way possible in my life, the first thing I want to start with, though, is this simple question of myself. Let's do a little internal reflection and here it is. You ready? Am I a safe person? Why do I need to start there? Because it's likely that there are people in my life who are trying to love me. It's likely that there are people in my life who are trying to love me and want to love me, but they're speaking a language I don't understand. Whether that's a gender-based difference or whether that is a love language difference. And so what if I began to assume, especially those closest to me, my spouse, my children, my parents, uh, and my friends, what if I began to assume they're probably trying to tell me they love me? And what if, the question is, am I a safe enough person that I can make that assumption? Because what happens when someone doesn't speak your language? Have you, you ever been in a situation where people were speaking a language different than your own? You ever been like that? I used to work at McDonald's. 90% of my staff, 75% of my staff was Latino, Spanish. They spoke mainly Spanish and some, uh, ah, man, that language they speak in Brazil that I cannot come up Portuguese. Portuguese, thank you. Ah, thank you very much. So some Portuguese, a lot of Spanish. And so, um, so they would talk all the time among themselves. And I'm walking through and I'm the boss. And I always thought they were talking about me. <laughs> That's what usually happens, isn't it? I mean, you, you start to get offended. You're in a situation and you don't know the language and everybody else is talking and you, your insecurity kicks in. And you say, well, they're talking about me. Sometimes they were talking about me. I could tell because I knew all the Spanish profanities. So I always knew when they were talking about me. <clears throat> but uh, the point is, is that if someone's trying to speak to you in a language you don't understand, it, it can... It can come off as offensive. It can make you feel insecure. It can make you draw back. Instead of connecting, it can cause you to isolate. 
So what if we change the assumption? The assumption is they're trying to tell me they love me. And think about yourself. You're pretty wonderful. Why wouldn't they love you, right? I know you're thinking of all your faults, but seriously, your father created you to be an incredibly adored individual, okay? So what if we gave them the benefit of the doubt and began to try to be accepting? Then the second question we ask ourselves, okay, am I a safe person? Uh, you know, let me break that down just a little bit more. If my kids tell me about their day, if my teenagers tell me about their day, am I tuned in or am I moving on? That's a real hard one for me. That was a sermon for me because I'm a very preoccupied, busy guy. And it's real hard for me to be in the conversation I'm in sometimes. And so, and, and, and if someone's trying to tell you I love you very much by sharing with you my life, my feelings, my experiences, whatever it is, and, and I'm not connecting, I'm not receiving that, I'm not safe at that point. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're exposing their hearts and I'm rejecting their heart by not being engaged. Does that make sense? Yeah, we all make these mistakes, guys. I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. So understand, am I a safe person? Second, do I care what's happening in the other person? Well, chances are you do. Chances are you have many relationships in your life that you're feeling disconnected in, you're feeling out of the loop on. And so do you, want, do you care what's going on inside of them? Yes, you probably do. So then let's try to understand. Let's listen to understand. And let's communicate to be understood. And so if we began to have this goal of where we're, I, I, I want to be understood and I want to understand you, I want to give you good information. Remember that phrase. We're going to come back to it in, in next week or two. But remember that phrase. I want to give you good information, accurate, up-to-date information about what's happening inside of me. Why is this important? I've been married to this person for 34 years. I mean, I know what's going on inside of her. No, 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 no. I know her, but I don't know her today. I don't know her in this moment. Every person in this room is fluid. You're changing. You're growing all the time. And what separates people is that we're both growing, but we're not in close proximity to each other while we're growing. We're not connected to each other while we're growing, and our information gets out of date. And so we come together in a disagreement, and I have a conclusion based on old information, and you have a conclusion based on old information, and now we're going to fight it out. And the truth is we're both wrong because neither one of us has the understanding of the new, relevant, up-to-date, good information that's inside of each person. Does that make sense? So do I want to know? Do I want to understand? And then, of course, most importantly, will I choose to turn my love on? To you, to whatever capacity it can be turned on. So I, there's two things that I want to do. This, personally, in every difficult situation I'm in, the first question I always want to ask is, okay, God, what are you trying to say here? I'm not saying God does bad things to me. I'm saying God's always saying something, and when I'm going through bad things, he usually speaks pretty loud. And so the first question I always want to go through in any kind of challenge, relational conflict, financial conflict, spiritual challenge, anything like that, the first question I always want to ask is, okay, Father, I know you love me. I know I'm very special to you. I know you, you have sought me from the, before the foundations of the world. So what are you trying to say? Help me hear you. And then, of course, because I'm kind of dumb, I always say and say it real loud, Father. Because <laughs> I don't take hints well. Ask my wife. So I ask, what's God saying in this? And the second thing I say, the next thing I do is, what can I try? 
So I'm in a situation where I want a strong relationship and a strong connection to someone. Maybe, maybe the issue is connection and I'm isolated. And I'm feeling very alone in life. We all have those seasons in life. David had many of those that you read about in the Psalms. And if I'm in that season of isolation, am I willing to step out of that? Am I willing to get out of my my dark, shade-pulled living room, away from my game system or Netflix subscription long enough to go and talk to a human being who's also made in the image of God? You understand that loving God and, and talking to human beings who are made in the image of God, that's a very important connection the Bible intends for you to make in 1 John. And so I can, I can begin to try and seek connection. Is it risky? It is. But isolation's deadly. Isolation's deadly. Am I in conflict? Am I, is there a conflict going on in my home, in whatever relationships, anybody in my life? Am I in conflict? Well, what do I need to do there? Well, let's start by understanding. Instead of I matter and you don't, or you matter and I don't, let's move to I matter and you matter. Your ideas are valid and valuable. Your feelings are valid and valuable. My feelings are also valid and valuable. Shouldn't have to give up who God made me to be to be in a friendship or relationship with someone. Because God made me with a purpose. And so what can I do? I can start to listen for understanding and communicate for understanding. You know what would be amazing in the issue area of communication? What would be amazing is if we didn't feel like we had to tear each other's defenses down to actually talk to each other. Most of our relationships and most of our communication is not the actual conversation we need to have. It's tearing down defenses so we can get to that conversation. But by the time we can get to that conversation, we're so mad at each other, we give up. And so how can I not do that? How can I just drop my defenses? And I learned this lesson as a, as a participant as observer in my own marriage a few years ago. My wife was trying to give me good information. And it hurt me. I didn't want her good information because it hurt. It was making me feel insecure. And so when she started to communicate to me the good information that was in her, I was building my defenses And so she's out here trying to tear my walls down to get to tell me so I will listen to her good information so that I will know what she needs. And this is what you always need to remember. This is the question in every conflict in your marriage with your kids, with your friends, every horizontal relationship, and maybe even the vertical one, the first question that's on the table is, what do I need and what do they need? And the first one who finds the need and meets it, you both win. That's how you have a win-win relationship. That's pretty good. So what can I do to, if I'm in conflict, how can I listen and understand? How can I meet your need? And, and then third, if it's good, if everything is good, you have those seasons in your, in your relationships, particularly your marriage is what I'm thinking of now, where it's eggshells. You know, every day you come home and you stick a toe in the door and you're like, is it going to go off when I go in there? But then there are those seasons where it's good, you know, and you, honey, I'm home, and she likes you. <clears throat> it's rare. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. 
doesn't have to be. When times are good, that's the time to ask yourself, what can I do better? So here's how I, this is how I perceive it in my little brain here. This is an analogy that works for me. Every relationship in your life has its own love bank. Its own love bank. Now you guys are familiar with banks, right? Back in the old days, we'd write physical checks. Some of you still are because you're diehards and yay for you. But I'm just saying, nowadays we use those card thingies. And every relationship has this love bank. And if, if you, uh, just like your regular bank, if you put, if you make deposits into your regular bank and you write checks or use your debit card based on what's deposited in your account, everything's fine. The problem comes when you start to write checks and use your card beyond your means. And the bank is more than happy to charge you for that thing, you know, being overdrawn. But the simple thing you have to do in your bank to stay ahead is you just make deposits and you stay ahead of your expenses and everything is okay. It's the same way with every relationship in your life. Every relationship, every marriage, it all runs on love. All of it runs on love. And love is the most powerful energy ever. And so what you need to be doing and what I need to be doing, what we have to learn how to do is to say regularly, I love you very much and make deposits into the love bank. Now, you need to make deposits before you have to make withdrawals. And some of you are sitting there going, well, that's it. I'll just make deposits. I'll never make withdrawals. That ain't going to happen. Because every one of you, I am almost certain, like 99.999% sure that every one of you has bad days. And I bet every one of you has days where you need love way more than you can give love. And you're going to have moments where you're going to have to withdraw from the love bank. And you know what? As long as you are depositing and you are saying regularly and often and it's in every language, not only necessary but possible, I love you very much. I love you very much. I love you very much. You are depositing into the love bank and then your bad days come around and my bad days come around and I'm grumpy and I'm you know, inconsiderate and I'm selfish or self-centered or I do something dumb and I'm going to have to make withdrawals that day. It would be nice to think that's never, you're not going to have to do that, but you are, you know you are. So what I'm wanting you to do and what I'm teaching myself to do, learning to do is to turn my love on and keep depositing as often as possible into the love banks in my life. And that's what I want to conclude this message with for you. What can you do today, this week, to deposit into the love banks in your life? What can you do to deposit into your marriage? Into your children individually? Into your friends? Into every relationship that is close enough to you to do it? How can you make deposits so that you are storing up reserves because you don't want to get in arrears at the love bank. The interest is terrible. The fees are high. The pain is unbearable. So turn your love on. Be like Jesus, who could look at even people who would kill him and could love them and have compassion for them. We're going to talk soon about what that looks like for boundaries and access. 
But that's next week's sermon. This week is, how can I turn my love on? How can I deposit into other people's lives? How can I say I love you very much in a way that you'll understand? I'm saying I love you very much. Let's pray. Worship team. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us this incredible gift of love, the ability to love others, the ability to receive love from you. I I pray that you would help us all today to walk in this love and to, to say today in every way possible to every relationship in our life, I love you very much. And Father, that it would be our highest goal to to deposit love into our people, into our friends, into those that we know and those that you have connected us with. Help us to seek to be connected, to understand. I pray, Lord, today for all these dads, all these moms, all these men and women and children, the power today to say over and over and over, I love you very much. Worship team, let's stand.